Okay, okay, and we're on air. So, yeah, welcome to the Podcasting Guild Babylon 5. I'm your host, Eric. I'm joined by my co-host, at least that's his title for right now, Andrew. He might change his title at some point. We'll see. And, uh, yeah, this is a podcast about Babylon 5. For those of you who don't know what Babylon 5 is, Andrew is one of you and is going to be participating and kind of learning along the way as to what Babylon 5 is and kind of what the show is about. So the whole idea with this podcast is to really twofold. One is to talk about one of my favorite shows and two is to finally get my friend Andrew to watch the show because this is the only way he would watch it is if we made a podcast. So yeah, Andrew, do you have anything to say for yourself at this point? (laughs) Wow. Well, way to put me on the defensive. Uh, right from the get-go uh, it is true that you've loaned me your box set of Babylon 5 uh, approaching five years now something, something like, like that. that yeah 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 I've, I've had it about as long as I've been married you know? so uh, uh, I, it, I I wouldn't say that I, I demanded a podcast but it did sound like a fun project uh, to watch the show. And I'm glad I did because I watched the pilot today, yep. all one and a half hours of it, which what is a insane. Start. What a start. Yeah. Yeah. What, yep. what a budget for a sci-fi pilot in the 90s. I mean, yeah. what, what, what was this coming off the tails of? Why did this have such production value? Well, if by production value you mean, you know, like, kind of wonky sets and 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 character stuff but you know it's uh it's the golden era of sci-fi we're in the 90s here um again for those of you that don't know what babylon 5 is it's a sci-fi tv show about a space station and the eponymous babylon 5 station set in neutral territory which is kind of like an area to gather and discuss things and hopefully stop people from shooting at each other, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things you might have noticed in the episode, um, this first episode that we're talking about today, is that a lot of heavy use of CGI um, in the episode. Oh, oh, and what CGI? Yeah, I know. What CGI. It, it really me took me back. You know, if you grew up in the 90s, as I did, it was incredibly nostalgic to see yeah. that CGI. Uh, no, it was actually a lot of the show was very nostalgic. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved the the techno babble. You yeah. just don't hear good techno babble like that anymore. I love you know I loved all of it. I loved the sort of uh, they had a lot of Star Wars influences. I thought a lot of like yeah. cantina mm-hmm. uh, sort of vibes. Oh, and and my favorite, maybe my favorite detail from the pilot is that right off the bat they introduce Babylon Five because the other four sank into the swamp, yeah, as it were, basically. Which I absolutely love. Um, I really hope the showrunners were fans of, fans of Monty Python. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, uh, properly, it's you a know, show it wasn't runner. played for comedy, yeah. but still, you know, you gotta love. You gotta love that the other four, you know, the the, the, the previous <laughs> one literally just disappeared. No one, yep. and they said, "Oh, we still don't have to." It just disappeared. It's like, guys, why don't you, why don't you try something else? Maybe, maybe like build a building on a planet like a normal person. Yeah, well, that you would know? be too easy, wouldn't it? And It'd be too easy. Yeah, yeah. and you no, wouldn't have. But but the fifth one stayed up. <laughs> For now. Now, at least yeah who knows what might happen in the coming episodes yeah. but okay. you know it's interesting you bring up the um idea of showrunners right so one of the things about babylon 5 that kind of distinguishes it from a lot of other tv shows especially in the era is that babylon 5 really had one showrunner um the entire uh series um j michael Straczynski um was the writer screenplay writer and director for all but like a handful of the episodes um okay and so this is a serial tv show in the sense of like a you know new bsg a um 
Game of Thrones where episode to episode, there are going to be continuing threads, right? Um, leading up to a conclusion, you know, not necessarily one or two episodes down the line, but years down the line. Um, and so this is one of the first TV shows to really do that. Because before this and you know, before the early 90s, there are a couple other shows that did this as well. But I think Batman 5 is maybe one of the first. Before this, you know, TV shows were episodic in nature, right? You look at Star Trek, you know, someone blows up a ship in Star Trek and the next episode that ship is there again or something else, right? So there's continuity sure, the, here that the you don't see. to the status quo. Yeah. yeah. There's continuity here that you see uh, episode to episode in Babylon 5. And I think that's one of the cool things that differentiates it from a lot of other TV uh, shows of the time um, and even today. Um, and the it also, while I think it's a, a positive, is a bit of a drawback because it makes it hard to get into the show, right? Because if you start watching it, you know, season two, episode 13, you don't have a clue what's going on, right? You don't know who the characters are and stuff like that. It's not as easy to get into. And one of the things that you'll see is that uh, you commented on the production values, but things actually do improve in terms of the production values once we get into the first season and stuff like that. So we're starting today uh, with the pilot episode, The Gathering, um, which uh, was actually filmed a year prior or released a year prior to the actual series. Um, so there are quite a few differences between um, what you see in this first episode, The Gathering, the pilot episode, and the first episode of season one, including some cast changes. Uh, so a couple cast members change between episodes and some of the makeup and effects change uh, between episodes, uh, between these two episodes at least. And then also some of the characterizations of some of the characters are a bit different. So a couple of the ambassadors act a little bit differently, not hugely different, but uh, a little bit different between uh, this first pilot episode and the subsequent uh, season one, episode one premiere episode. So yeah, um, my thought is that what we can do from here is we'll go into the episode a little bit, kind of discuss different aspects of it. You've kind of already given a brief overview of it, if you will, and then kind of talk about what we thought about it overall and go from there. And we'll see how it goes. You know, I can say for sure I'm by no means an expert in this whole podcasting business, but, you know, I thought it'd be a fun way to talk about things and uh, we'll see how, how we get on with it. So, yeah. <clears throat> well, you better be an expert. You promised me fame and riches. Oh, that's so. true. That's true. We'll be uh, we'll be working on that here soon enough. But before that, why don't we dive into the episode here and talk a little bit about what actually happened? So. Oh yeah. Yeah. What, and what happened, dude? <laughs> yeah. So first episode, the gathering, Babylon Five. So it starts off with. Um, we should act it out, right? Oh, scene by scene. Yeah, I was thinking we could do yeah. um, not just acting, but you know, interpretive dance. That's always been my favorite mode of communication. I've been dancing this whole time. Ah, excellent. You haven't? Um, well, truth be told, I I am a bit of a dancer. Let's 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 have have it be known that we can definitely do that. So yeah. Maybe we'll add that as like a Patreon benefit or something in interpretive dance of the episodes. You know, once we but only audio. Like I don't, I don't, I don't even own a webcam. Okay. So you know, this is the best you got. <laughs> that works. Can you, can you hear it though? Now that you mention it, I think I can. Okay, so there's a couple things I would like to address from the opening of this episode. Yeah. Uh, when they were just establishing, you know, they hadn't gotten to the plot. Yeah, they were mm -hmm. just establishing the characters and the feel. One was that a drug dealer, I guess, drug runner, who also took a woman hostage and threatened yeah. to kill her, <laughs> who the commander had to talk down and then basically was like, ah, get out of here, you scamp. <laughs> get out of here, you. Like, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was some clearly pre-9-11 writing. Yes. Uh, I, but I did enjoy how security on this ship really just came down to the commander being like, you know, I'll, I'll talk him down. It'll be yeah. great. 
you know, hostage, uh, you know, negotiation. That's a proper skill in command school that you have to learn, I'm sure. Proper skill. You know where he really let me down, though, is after identifying that alien in that sort of, you know, singles, Babylon 5 singles bar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And he says, after they finish, they they eat their mate. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This whole episode is about a murder. Clearly, murder is not something you're just allowed to do on Babylon 5. And, you know, (laughs) consent is consent. Like, just because I'm, I'm doing the beast with two backs doesn't mean I'm consenting to you eating me. Uh, why is he, you know, it's a very, 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 uh, you know, flase da kind of attitude <laughs> from the commander towards towards murder and cannibalism. Uh, so really, to me, this episode was a story about the commander, you know, learning the seriousness of of murder and homicidal crimes by being framed for one himself. Spoiler alert. Uh, and you know Perhaps, a bit yeah. of, a bit of comeuppance and learning, I think was in order. <laughs> anyway, all right. Yeah. So one of the other things that really stood out to me in that first scene, and that continued to stand out throughout the episode, was um, let's see, what's his character's name? Del Varner. That guy had like a '70s like outfit from. It's like, why would he be wearing that? <laughs> and he stands out like a, such a sore thumb, you know. And I know, you know, first pilot episode, you're not going to have the best budget. You're not going to be able to get costumes exactly right. But you could have made it a bit more subtle, you know. No, I completely like... agree. I completely agree. <laughs> like, there was sort of Star Trek uniforms and there was, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, uh lando lando is my favorite yeah. i loved lando yeah uh and he was wearing this like i don't even know how to describe this futuristic like napoleonic uniform mm-hmm. kind of looking thing yep. yeah and then there was dell in this like <laughs> wide lapel yeah looked looked like he just came from a, the set of threes company like <laughs> uh i completely yeah. uh completely agree with that you know i love how you know the the whole Babylon Five, right? It's got a casino and all this, but but it seems to me, just based off the pilot, that the core of Babylon Five is these ambassadors, and that they can yep. meet mm-hmm. here. And despite that, nobody gives these ambassadors a thimbleful of respect. Like the that bridge <laughs> lady, I forgot her name, but the, the, the you know the commander on the bridge, yeah, Takashima. Takashima was just talking shit to that one guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll send you a basket of flowers. Go fuck yourself. You know, uh, yeah. the uh, the gambling addict Lando, who I love, best character by far, yeah. so so far. <laughs> well, if you liked him in this episode, you're gonna love him throughout the series. Yeah, because he's a constant. Great. Yeah. When when you said recharacterizations, I was like, not Lando. Don't you touch my dear yeah. Lando. But yeah, no. They do make know, his hair a bit better. He's basically just but... treated like a degenerate. Like nobody yeah. gives these ambassadors who who it turns out kind of run the place. Like then then it turns out the four of them are the council of whatever or you know some kind of council mm-hmm. that run the ship. So they're sort of like the dictators. You'd think you think people would put a little respect in their tone when they talk to them, but no, no sir. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting premise the way I have it set up because Babylon Five is an Earth-owned station and it's run by the Earth military, which is what Commander Sinclair and Takashima are a part of, and so they technically run it. But then they have this advisory council, which are composed of the various ambassadors from the major federations, the major races, spacefaring races, and. So far in this first episode, you only meet the four other major races. So you have the Mimbari, the Narn, the Centauri, and the Vorlon. There's also going to be some other races which come on a little bit later on, which form the non-aligned worlds, which is a bunch of the smaller races which kind of group together in a union, if you will, to provide a, a sixth voice. Dude, spoiler alert. What, what, you know, yeah. I've only watched well, the mean, pilot. The second episode, you're going to see the council. So don't worry about it. But 
but yeah, the the whole concept of the station is that that advisory council provides oversight. You know, kind of like what happens today with like the UN and stuff, right? So obviously UN headquarters is in New York, right? But obviously you got all the ambassadors from the UN kind of dictating how things are actually going on within the, the building and stuff. So um, kind of similar to that, I would imagine. Well, you know, that's a good point because granted there was one UN that sank into the swamp, yeah. the League of Nations. But if there was four of them, and when they sank into the swamp, they took everybody with them. <laughs> uh, you'd think the people sent to the station, you know, to work on it, would be, like, disgraced or be, like, a punishment, yeah. right? I mean, this yeah. super risky, like, uh, you know, you're a red shirt, basically. Mm-hmm. If they're sending you to the swamp station... The last one literally disappeared. All hands lost. Nobody to this day knows what happened to him. But you know what? You know, here's number five. Oh, and guess who gets to be the commander or the bridge commander or or whatever? It's you. You know, if you said that to me, like the commander. uh, Oh, that was my puppy, by the way. That's Boda. Crying for attention. (laughs) That's Boda. Yeah. Boda, my puppy, my black lab puppies cutie pie but you know the commander seemed to be on pretty good terms with that senator but i don't know if he was i feel like i feel like you don't send friends to the fifth iteration of a suicide mission you know well i think you definitely get some of that in the characterizations like obviously look at at londo right londo is as you point out a gambling addict bit of a drunkard right but he's the ambassador of Centauri Republic. And so, yeah, you kind of get the impression that he was just kind of given the position because they didn't know what else to do with him. And, you know, the security chief, who some kind of refer to as uh, store brand Bruce Willis, <laughs> who is played by Jerry Doyle, uh, Michael Garibaldi. You know, he's got, you know, you kind of hear his background that he was kind of a, a hard luck kind of guy that, was given the job by the commander because the commander wanted to help him out right and it's just like it's not the cushiest gig in the world despite what one might uh, might think and i think to your point that a lot of the in-universe groups definitely view it as a backwater and are just kind of going through the motions and don't really view it as you know something legitimate right and i think throughout the series you see how i think that's one of the common threads is like how the station starts to gain legitimacy uh through various actions and, and things that happen in the series um but yeah i think to your point at this juncture in the series the pilot episode it's very much a backwater right now where kind of things happen right so yeah yeah well backwater full of nepotism yeah i i couldn't believe the, the conflicts of interest yeah the doctor performing work on a patient after being explicitly told not to you know that's some doctor house stuff mm-hmm. the professional morality is pretty lax yeah on babylon 5 you know the commander being buddies with the investigator <laughs> who's also investigating him yeah uh, I have to say, uh, uh, psychics also are uh, a fascinating bit of moral uh, quandary. Yeah. You know, business psychics mm-hmm. bringing people with who can read their mind, and you don't—they didn't bring two psychics with. Nope, just the one that could that could that could confirm or deny each other. They just brought one with, yeah. and you know, that's the who can say who can say if they're if they're telling the truth. You know. Yeah, and. You know, this is another aspect of not just this, the episode, but the, I think the, the series in general is that there's a lot of gray area in this universe, right? It's not like Star Trek where humanity is a utopia now and everyone gets on with everyone. It's very much got, you know, a basis in our world today to an extent where there are people with differing interests that are trying to do things behind the scenes. And I think that kind of lends to it's relatability to an extent because you can kind of see how that might be us in the future right whereas star trek for all it's 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 cool technology and things you kind of scratch your head wondering if we can ever get to that utopia uh with the way humanity is sometimes right so 
it's an interesting uh, dichotomy there, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you draw a difference there. I actually thought this this felt a lot like Star Trek to me, and uh, it it. I mean, you know, there was no show like Star Trek before right. Star Trek, so I guess all uh, science fiction pulls from it. But I, I saw so many similarities. You know, they actually used, because I happen to have watched uh, the opening episodes of The Next Generation recently, and they used the same sort of narrative tricks, like exposition tricks, you know, all the same beats as some of the opening episodes of The Next Generation, like having the uh, captain sort of tour you know showing new people sort of all the all the you know alien spaces and and solving the the dangerous crisis that comes Mm. up and yeah yeah so that was kind of interesting to see some of that storytelling similarities i think is probably commonplace and at the time because you had to introduce your audience to the series at that time right I, i think for one reason or another executives and showrunners or maybe executives at the studios probably viewed the audiences as maybe needing a bit more hand-holding than they do nowadays um, with more modern TV. So I think that might be something that could be localized to that kind of time frame in TV making, but who knows? So Yeah, no, I no, I think you're right, but it, it does feel outdated watching it yeah. now because I think a lot of story or, you know, narrative elements are a lot more sophisticated where, you know, the truth is you don't actually have to explain how everybody knows each right. other and what, right. what the history is. And, like, if you just have people act, you know, as though that was the history and think about how that would influence, you know, you, you can kind of get away with, uh, revealing it slowly or just sort of leaving it implied. But yeah, you know, the kind of conversations where it's like the war that ended between our peoples 20 years ago, or, you know, though the war has been over for 20 yeah. years, it, you know, it's like, would two people that know each other well and have this history really, really say those things? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they do in pilot episode exposition, mm-hmm. whether it's Babylon <laughs> five or Star Trek. Yeah. Interesting side note is, you know, as of the date of this recording, which is the 10th of October, um, news recently came out that they are actually going to be rebooting Babylon 5 with the original showrunner, J. Michael Straczynski at the helm. Wow, okay. So great timing by us, well, that's right? that's exciting. <laughs> great you timing. Know, this, this means that there will be a lot more people that will be interested in listening to our podcast. So. Well, that's... <laughs> That's excellent. And for those people, I want to pull out another absolute gem from this episode. Uh, and I have a question okay. for you, Eric. You know, direct mating is more cost effective. Yes. Uh, do you prefer conscious <laughs> or unconscious? Uh, I, of course, prefer conscious, but I don't know what your pleasure tolerance is like. Things were different in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. That scene creeped my wife out so much. Yeah. And I kind of agree. That whole ambassador, I wonder, I mean, if he's not an antagonist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they they just made that character so creepy yeah. in the pilot. Uh, you know, you mentioned recharacterizations. I hope they recharacterize That's so. Them. Yeah, that's Ambassador Jakar, and that's like in the following, uh, and a little bit further in the episode where he's talking to Lita, in the Narn Empire, the Narn regime, they don't have telepaths, and so he's trying to uh, yeah. figure out how to get some telepathic genetics back in their gene pool. And well, and and you know, this sounds like the kind of thing that might that might wrap around to in future episodes mm-hmm. uh, and have its own plot arc. But in the pilot, it really had nothing to do with the pilot's yeah. plot. And so it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of skeeviness mm-hmm. for really what, what ended up just being a bit of world building. Yeah. You know, I mean, they didn't even know at the time if there would be other episodes. So they just threw this in, never knowing if it would be resolved in any way. Just, you know, adding a bit of flavor. Yeah. No, I had to write that one down. <laughs> that was. Uh, yeah. yeah. And Ambassador Jakar does get a slight recharacterization. He's not quite as skeevy in the next episode. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, but. <laughs> 
you know, to he would not have survived the Me Too oh, movement totally. on Babylon Five. You know, another aspect of this coming into it, um, J. Michael Shazinsky, the uh, the showrunner and, and really the architect of Babylon Five, he had a five year plan in mind when he came to present Babylon Five to the executives, right? And so a lot of the things like that conversation with Lita do end up being the start of threads that will show up later on in future episodes. So, you know, that is one, I don't know if you caught it, but when Ambassador uh, Kosh, the the Vorlon, the guy in the encounter suit, first met Sinclair, or what he thought it was Sinclair, he called him by a different name, if you noticed that. But that comes to... I did not That comes that. to... Uh, be important later on as well so the arc of the episode really starts with that introductory of um, this character del varner right who's kind of hiding out in the background throughout a number of scenes and then as it turns out he's uh, a tech smuggler and one of the texts he was smuggling was a changing net or something like that changing suit right where basically you can right uh, right change what your appearance looks like to people around you and um turns out there's an assassin on the station and he's trying to assassinate ambassador kosh um, and frame commander sinclair the earth force commander on the show um, and really our lead actor played by michael O'Hare. another thing with the show is that you'll notice there aren't any really big names in the cast they're all character actors basically which lends itself because you get a lot of really cool characterizations from these these actors um you already got a favorite in londo and you'll see a lot more of them in the coming episodes um, but a lot of the other character actors like andreas katsoulis who plays jacar he was a sci-fi character actor for years and he actually made a number of appearances on star trek too so you'll see him make a recurring uh, appearance as well um, in various episodes in the future yeah so as we make our way through the episode a couple other key talking points really revolve around that big trial that happens when lita who is trying to help dr kyle heal ambassador kosh from his initial attack accuses commander sinclair of being the assassin lita being a, a telepath connected with the unconscious mind of ambassador kosh to go in there and, and kind of try and figure out what what happened to him so they can determine what poison was administered to treat him right um and so this leads us to that big trial scene which <laughs> i think was a bit overwrought if you ask me uh, with the light the overhead lighting and all these other aspects of it it seemed a bit much yeah no i wonder if they just watched like the music video to <laughs> i think so yeah they're like this is what trials in space in the future will look yeah. like we should we should light it exactly <laughs> like that and thankfully that's the only uh, time that appears in this series uh future trials are a bit more know, realistic again it's it's so funny to see this reflected again because like the very earliest episodes of star trek i also had ridiculous outfits oh, yeah. that just totally pulled you out of it you know sparkly spandex mm -hmm. so you know the the birthing pains here aren't quite so uh you know <laughs> quite so intense but yeah there are a few design choices where uh or you know the, the, this is clearly you know made for tv yeah. in the 90s yeah. but again i kind of loved it it's very it's nostalgic mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny you, you said, like, the whole cast is character actors. And I do love the sort of range of characterizations. What I didn't love quite as much was the number of sort of wry, knowing smiles that everyone <laughs> gave each other. Yeah. That was a little, you know, one or two. But every, <laughs> every scene that involved two characters who liked each other you know ended with one of them you know sort of giving a little wry yeah. you know you know sassy speech with, with this knowing grin mm -hmm. you know it's like all right is that how you end every conversation <laughs> well i mean i do that with most of my conversations to be honest you know so yeah yeah 
Well, you would, knowing how you acted back in the battles of the Moreland era. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most most definitely. Uh, that was my best, uh, you know, sci-fi lore yeah. talk. But yeah, I did love the the super intense music over, you know, what what is pretty awful CGI. If we're being honest, yeah, the uh, music that score was a, that was a fun dichotomy. The music, the score was great. Yeah, tell me about um, it. Yeah, so that was the score composer is Christopher Frankie. He's done some other work in, in various other uh, areas, but I think he's fairly well known for for his work on Babylon 5, and he was a composer throughout all Babylon 5, to my knowledge. Um, I should probably research that. Maybe we should do some more research for this podcast. I don't know. Um, we'll find out. But um, Christopher Frankie, yeah, uh, great score, and it... He does a great job of like combining like kind of synth stuff with some orchest- orchestral stuff. Um, really stands out from other music, I think, and scores of the era. And even today, it's, it's got a unique sound to it, I think. It's something I, I personally have enjoyed. Um, and actually, I bought this CD when it came out, you know, back when CDs were a thing. So. <laughs> no, I, I loved the score. I thought it was really yeah. well. Uh scored very sort of emotive Mm -hmm. cgi aside what did you think of the actual designs of like the the spaceships and the and what you saw of babylon 5 yeah i I thought it was pretty neat i thought it was pretty neat like you know i've uh a lot of the sci-fi i've consumed has been in a post babylon 5 world so you know the but i love the i like that the station has several rotating parts yeah, you know, I it, it's clear that they sort of took what the purpose of the station was and at least considered it in the design. You know, mm-hmm. how can we have different parts that are spinning at different speeds? Uh, that was neat. The scale is uh, probably not accurate. You probably have to get much larger circles, or they'd have to be spinning much much faster yeah. than that to get anything even approaching uh, gravity. But uh, you know that's a that's a tiny quibble. I did like the I did like the aesthetic and the design, uh, and I actually liked that parting shot of the episode where they pull out of the, you know, the windows mm-hmm. on the bridge, and then it all goes black for a second except for the window, and you're like, whoa, what's up? And then you realize it was just a shadow, yeah. and of course in space shadows are like totally black. So I thought that was a, a fun touch at the yeah. end uh, to sort of you know try to give a sense of scale of the station and for those listeners that are wondering how can andrew be speaking with such gravitas and knowledge on the on the the size of the station how fast it can be spinning to create gravity turns out andrew actually has a degree in physics and knows what the hell he's talking about so there is that yeah although (laughs) you know i will i will say that there was no classes on uh you know made up spaceship design I thought that was like quintessential uh, for like all scientists. You have to it's true. learn about that but stuff. You know, well, I, I take that back. We actually did sort of do uh, uh, sort of problems to test <laughs> a lot of tropes. So like the pinhole air leak, yeah. for example, we had to uh, you know calculate how long it would take for uh, it, it was something tiny. Mm-hmm. It was like a... Uh, one by one micrometer hole yeah. really tiny right uh to empty of air and it's it's pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty quick yeah. uh, a micrometer would take a few minutes although it would probably rip a bigger hole as it did yeah. it but like something even the width of a human hair would empty would empty even a large room of air in about seven seconds yeah. So, you know, these tense scenes where, oh, there's a pinhole, we got to find it and close it. And, you know, we can hear the air rushing by and like, no, that that would be lickety split. Well, we're getting off topic here because none of that happened. Actually, a bit of that did happen in this episode. They said, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but I need to cover this while I'm thinking about it. They, They said this ship cut its way in. Right. And yet there they were just standing where the ship had cut its way in like like they weren't standing in the vacuum of space and so what we're talking about here is the assassins spaceship that they had to use to get on the station because they couldn't come through customs right and so i think to your point Mm -hmm. 
and unfortunately this episode they don't mention it but in other episodes where similar things occur not to spoil anything they talk about setting up a seal and things like that and i imagine that probably is what occurred and they just for whatever reason didn't uh didn't include that bit of dialogue in the episode not that it would have taken long but yeah to your point i think um, that was a bit silly that uh, it did get left off and so yeah in this point of the episode Commander Sinclair is now on trial and uh, he's going through mm. all these different things like trying to explain his innocence and stuff like that and Commander Garibaldi or uh, Chief Garibaldi is now investigating things and he's discovered where the assassins come on board Babylon 5 and so now they're trying to track down the assassin and while this is all going on there are a couple other interchanges that happen one of the key ones I wanted to talk about was um, the interaction uh, between Delenn and Jakar uh, Delenn being the Mimbari ambassador and Jakar where you know Jakar tries to oh yeah convince Delenn to do something yeah oh yes here I real quick I just want to uh, this is what I wrote about this mm-hmm. scene let me find it. Here we go. Ambassador cage match. Yeah. Oh man, did things escalate quickly? And again, once again, like the propensity for physical violence and and like coercion between these ambassadors. It it are the ambassadors? Do these guys know what an ambassador <laughs> is? They're all making these big decisions uh, for their respective not only governments but like species yeah. really or i guess governments maybe maybe there's other species that aren't represented by them but they're all like my answer is no <laughs> it's like but wait you're an ambassador it's not a, it's not your decision so anyway i just wanted to like i mean <laughs> anyway so yeah in this scene in this scene uh i forgot their names so you I'm have delen and jakar the, the, right jakar asks Delenn to join right. me and together we will rule the galaxy basically right. in so many words and she's like no and he's like rants about you know uh, uh, some of the lore a bit of exposition about how uh, you know they should have killed the humans when they had the chance and then he mentions the Grey Council and suddenly she goes all like Darth Vader <laughs> and pulls out a, a, a I'll kill your face ring. Yeah. And, and she he starts using it to kill his face. <laughs> or, or no, it was like increasing the gravities right, or something. Yeah. And she's like, at six gravities, your, your rib cage will crumble. And then she goes to five gravities, and it's like nothing bad happens. It's like, whoa, that last gravity is a, is a killer, isn't it? You go from basically being fine to your rib cage crumples. Uh, I guess it only takes um, you know, yeah, a little but bit more, right? So She really escalated things quickly there. I thought that, uh, that I mean, again, really poor temperament mm-hmm. for an ambassador. Yeah, and she's another one of the characters that gets recharacterized a little bit in the... Um, in the following episodes. So one of the interesting side notes with Ambassador Dylan in particular was that J. Michael Straczynski wanted Ambassador Dylan to have kind of undertones of a, a male identifying character. Okay. And the reason for that is that uh, later in the series, not to spoil anything, there will be a, a transition. And if you it probably can tell in the episode that she's that Ambassador Dylan is played by a female actor, actress, right? Yeah, and course, so the the thing was that they unfortunately couldn't figure out how to get the makeup right and the the voice synthes- synthesizer right to pull that off. So they kind of pulled back from that. And they also toned down some of what you see in this episode in terms of her mannerisms as well. But there's still a transition that happens later on in the series that is very interesting. So. Well, again, you know, I can only take the one episode at a time. Yeah. And as she is, is depicted in the pilot, she's basically a Benny Gesserit <laughs> more or less like like yeah. she's kind of has this stoic I know deep dark things that you can't imagine kind of attitude and then also she has like little trinkets that can kill your yeah. face uh and and she like isn't shy about using <laughs> them 
And you don't see many of those trinkets either uh, throughout the series. But when they come out, they're, yeah, watch out. So. Well, I was going to say, you know, if it seems like a very DSX Machina kind of thing to have a drawer full of <laughs> rings. The very first of them that we see kills your yeah. face. Yeah. You know, and you, what could the rest do? Anything they need to is my mm-hmm. guess. <laughs> Any, anything that you need yeah. them to. Yeah, and thankfully they did get rid of all that stuff and focus more on the interpersonal stuff, the, the interesting politics and stuff, unless so that Deus Ex Machina, is, as you noted. So. Well, speaking of Deus Ex Machina, I want to talk costume yeah. design, specifically the Vorlon What do you think of that? <laughs> I liked how the face just had one little aperture. Mm-hmm. That was kind of neat. They didn't try to make it look like a face. But I have to admit, I was just entirely distracted by the nipples. <laughs> they had these two tuby things yeah. coming out, and they could have had them coming out yep. anywhere. But they were coming out right where the nipples would be. <laughs> And they were just these big, dangly, they bounced as it walked, <laughs> Vorlon nipples. And I don't know how that got past. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that's something that didn't make it past the pilot. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, someone I think didn't they, have their coffee yet, I guess, on that it, costume design. The Ambassador Kosh's encounter suit does get restyled a bit. They're not as prominent in future episodes, if I recall correctly. But, okay. um, yeah. But they're essential to the plot. Like, five years down the line, those nipples are are vital to the resolution. Well, of you know, plot, if you right? think about it, it makes sense for the Vorlons, because they want to throw you off. They don't want you to know what they look like, right? They want you to think that they have these weird nipple things that are necessary, but who knows? Maybe they're something yeah. else. Well, I have to admit, I was really suspicious of the Vorlons all episode, which, of course, they want you to be. Mm-hmm. But they're like, oh yeah, no one saw the attempted assassination because the Vorlons demanded that we don't have any cameras. And it's like, well, then they can't be too upset <laughs> when when shady shit happens, right? I mean, yeah. So I don't know. The Vorlons were, you know, what kind of what kind of ambassador is being like, yeah, I'll come represent my people. Who are my people? Don't ask questions. Why are you asking questions? Who are your people? Go fuck yeah. yourself. You know, again, just doesn't seem like a very uh, conducive temperament to being an ambassador. I think that's a fair, fair point. I think it's something they also, you know, bring up in future episodes, like how did that happen to begin with, right? So, because um, no one's questioning why the assailant was able to shake the ambassador's hand when the ambassador's in an encounter suit. And he can't be exposed. Oh, I question that. Actually, actually, Katie, my my lovely <laughs> wife, actually questioned that. She did call that out. So um, I'm glad they they address that. Although, you know, it's hard to tell if if this is the kind of thing that they foresaw and delivery put in there, or if it's the kind of thing that, when reviewing their past work, they realized maybe we should address. <laughs> how this how this thing central to the plot happened but again i don't know this particular showrunner i don't want to disparage him uh if he did plan it all out Mm -hmm. god bless him but in my experience these uh these kinds of made for tv sci-fi shows have a lot of plot holes that definitely get explained uh but you know what's is it is it uh patching up holes or was it was it you know poured concrete to form the hole and the patch haha that's fair that's fair you know although i i can say uh with some knowledge that j michael Shazinski did plant that intentionally and i think well you know battle five has its fair share of plot holes i think most of them are relatively minor compared to some other other series to be sure but uh, while we're on the topic yeah. of plot holes i want to address a major okay. one and that is the commander's space station booty call. Mm-hmm. How are those frictionless sheets? She said they were frictionless sheets. How are those frictionless sheets sticking to her boobs? <laughs> in the classic, I'm sitting up in bed naked, but there's sheets, uh, you know, magically stuck 
right around my chest to keep me modest. They specifically established that those were frictionless <laughs> sheets. Okay? What is going on here? Tell me. I, I want you to tell me, Eric, that this is some clever, uh, you know, detail that was specifically laid to resolve itself later. Um, well, nothing can overcome the power of corporate sensors, I think. So there is that. You know, fair enough. Well, they didn't need to put her in bed. <laughs> True. All they did was chat. They didn't, you know, there was there was no uh, uh, hanky-panky yeah. going on in this episode. They could have had her chat fully clothed. That is fair. Yeah. Uh, but they put her in bed, and then they made those frictionless sheets. Frictionless sheets, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> stay stay put. You know, I'm not I'm not saying I wanted to see, uh, you know, breasts in this '90s TV show, right? Like I'm a happily married man, <laughs> not that thirsty. What I am saying is frictionless means something. All right, all right. You can't just throw around words like frictionless. And expect, you know, people who, who you know, spent eight years getting physics degree to be like, oh, oh, sure, frictionless, except when the corporate censors uh, demand it. So in hindsight, I have a lot of nipple-centric uh, criticisms of the pilot I have here. to say, you are paying uh, explicit attention to those areas. I, uh, you know, I wasn't quite expecting that, to be sure, but adds a good, a good amount yeah, of flavor well, to the episode. Yeah, I mean, who knows what Vorlon nipples are flavored like. Uh, speaking of flavor, can we talk about the hot dog masks? Yes, hot dog masks. Do you know what I mean when I say hot dog Are you talking masks? about the masks they used when they went into the alien sector? <laughs> yes, I am. That look like they have four hot dogs or maybe like Twinkies <laughs> stuck on them. Those are great. I'm not saying I could do better. I'm just saying they looked like hot dogs. I think they realized that because by the next episode they fixed them. <laughs> Oh, great. Did they also fix, I hope not, the roller coaster trolley? <laughs> I know. When they get into that little transport <laughs> and it's literally roller coaster. Yeah, houses. that was a bit awkward. That was a bit awkward. <laughs> and they're just sitting there. They're not even like like leaning or rattling around or I guess maybe it's space, maybe transportation is super smooth and and you don't there's no turbulence, but you know, they were <laughs> that was that was a great little bit where they were just leaning on those uh roller I think as a devices. as a physics person here you would appreciate the explanation for why they had to put those in because since the trolley in the station is closer to the center of the station than it is on the outside, there's less gravity there. So they need to put something in there to restrain people to keep them from moving around and floating, right? Sure, sure, sure. And so that makes that makes perfect sense. That being said, in future episodes, they do kind of get rid of them and go with like seatbelts or something like that, I think. Because I think it's a bit awkward having a serious conversation about your murder investigation when you're having to sit in roller coaster harnesses. Yeah. Well, as uh, I was definitely distracted I by know, I was the too. roller coaster harnesses. Well, and because they're so obviously roller coaster oh, yeah. harnesses, and you know, I get it. It's it probably wasn't worth the budget to like design from scratch their own futuristic looking things. But I mean, those looked those looked like like roller coaster harnesses straight oh, yeah. off the roller coaster. <laughs> Maybe they could have painted them differently. Totally. Or something. I don't know. Totally. Yeah, that was definitely pretty funny. Well, I have to say, overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it did a great job of... It had a lot of intriguing storylines. Yeah. You know, my wife, who is not uh, like... A, you know, she didn't grow up on, on Star Trek and stuff like I did. She squealed with delight at the very end where when the, the commander revealed his, you know, his little uh, tracking chip ruse. <laughs> That was a, a lovely little bit of writing. I love. I love yeah. that. I it did. It was all a little neat and tidy. I mean, how can we talk about this episode without talking about the fact that this dude who is on tribal in this very like clockwork orange kind of trial yeah. is also allowed to like not only directly participate in the investigation, you know, as an investigating potential crime scenes and handling evidence. He is given a a firearm and body. Not armor. just any firearm, but a giant laser bazooka like gun. Oh, yeah, <laughs> seriously, like like a Men in Black style giant laser to go and manhunt. 
the other suspect. I mean, what kind of clown world trial? You know, this is this man is a suspect. We he was just he's literally the transport to take him to court is here waiting outside, and they're just like, oh, oh, no worries, no need to even verbally explain anything. We'll just send the aliens who have a fleet of warships surrounding us. We'll just send them the video feed of the person they think murdered the ambassador running around (laughs) in body armor (laughs) with a giant fucking gun. And they'll understand. It'll all be clear and we can move past this. I mean, I I totally understand. And it worked. But what the fuck? What the fuck was any of that? How did just sending the video feed to the warships... Like, like just think about, think about like, the U.S. carrier group, you know, sending airstrikes into Baghdad, yeah. right? You know, yeah. 2000-whatever, I remember watching it on the news. What VHS could... <laughs> Could the could their government have sent us that would have made it be like school hold your fire hold your fire hold up just watch this oh wow you see Saddam is oh, hunting wow. the guy that explains that everything is... yeah exactly well that's Saddam Hussein with a big machine gun hunting oh my god it's an even worse Saddam Hussein <laughs> like I don't know that whole premise again maybe you'll tell me it's cleared up in future yeah. episodes but I have to say that didn't pass past the sniff test they even referenced like oh it's a conflict of interest you can't be involved except that you can still follow the investigators and talk to witnesses Mm -hmm. and handle evidence oh and go in an armed manhunt but other than that you just you can't be involved you have to understand it's a conflict of interest yeah and i think to be sure i think there were definitely some shortcuts taken there part of it probably comes down to the fact that they weren't sure if their show was going to be get picked up so they need to have kind of like an action-y wrap-up to the episode right because to your point it's like an hour and a half long tv episode right i couldn't believe it. hour and a half i mean that's that's its runtime without commercials yep. this must have been on air for like two and a half three hours when yeah it, when it aired it was basically a made for tv movie yeah yeah it is you're right that's yeah yeah, we had to take a quick intermission <laughs> to uh you know to eat we were just like oh this is almost done right no yeah. No, you've got 45 minutes left. Buckle and in. How about Devorlon sending an entire attack fleet to go pick up one guy? <laughs> yeah, so I felt like the Vorlon set that all up. They're like, hey, we're going to send this ambassador. And, you know, no reason. Don't ask questions. But we don't want you to videotape him. Yeah. And just in case something bad happens while he's not being videotaped, we have this whole war fleet on standby. Uh, to come to come say hi so yeah you might you know, be on I'm, to I'm something there on I, who knows yeah i find that incredibly suspicious yeah, yeah. And especially since incredibly suspicious. in this universe humans are actually one of the lesser races <laughs> we're not very advanced compared to the others you know the sh- the, the show didn't make that clear uh it, in fact it sort of painted humans as you know the race to envy i mean lando was constantly belly aching about oh we you know he sounded like the french you know <laughs> we do you remember those 20 years we owned half of europe yeah those were the best 20 years ever you know and like now you guys are the you know the i mean ones. you you complained about uh, them talking about stuff about the war and stuff but one of the things is that humanity got their asses handled handed to him by the Mimbari just like 10 years prior and were basically wiped out all button name then the Mimbari surrendered for some reason no one knows why yet in the the series so you know I thought Firefly and granted Firefly got to learn all the lessons that shows like Babylon Mm -hmm. 5 had to teach but I thought Firefly handled the exposition well which was just to show it which is to have the pilot have flashbacks mm. to the war that formed all these relationships and and uh, did all these things. I now granted that takes a lot more budget and a lot more screen yeah. time than just having two people be like, 
you know, and you know what else happened. I think you you did get some of that because he had some audio flashbacks, but no like visual stuff. But you do get more of that in the future episodes, um, in terms of like what Commander Sinclair went through in the Battle of the Line, that sort of stuff. So that's another running thread in the first season or two is like what happened at the Battle of the Line, you know, um, what happened to Sinclair, and you hear it in the various last lines of the episode where the or one of the last lines of the episode where the um, the assassin is talking to to Sinclair about you have a hole in your mind, all right, and then he's talking to Delenn in the garden about I don't remember twenty four hours, and Delenn kind of looks at him like I don't know, maybe it's a mystery that should never be solved. Don't ask too many questions. Yeah, Delane came off as real, uh, real cagey, real yeah, shady. Yeah. And not good at being shady either, <laughs> right? When she was like, I was just told to observe. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, uh, observe what? Just like, and then they cut that scene. But like, what was her response? Like, oh, uh, d- did I say that yeah. out loud? Uh, like, you know, if you're going to be th- this representative of an enigmatic race doing enigmatic things for unknowable purposes, like, stop, stop hinting. <laughs> Stop dropping ominous hints in half the things you say. I actually really like Delane. It is interesting what you said about them thinking of of making them, uh, you know, transgender yeah. in a sense. Because I kind of got that a little from the character mm-hmm. design. It's a shame uh, they, they they didn't pursue that. That would have been in a really interesting arc and way ahead of its time. Yeah. I have to say yeah. too. That was the initial plan, but unfortunately, they just couldn't pull it off right and. J. Michael Straczynski didn't want to half-ass it, so he's like, well, we'll just try to make it work with her as a female character then. Totally, totally. Well, no, it's great. I mean, uh, you know, I think science fiction shows actually have a pretty proud tradition of trailblazing social issues, and, uh, you know, Star Trek famously put black characters in in roles of sort of authority and dignity, and the showrunners did that explicitly. I would like to think that part of the legacy that left behind was other shows like Babylon 5 would try totally, to Totally, yeah. And you definitely see that in like a lot of modern sci-fi still like the newest Star Treks are doing more like that. I think there's a transgender character on the newest Star Trek Discovery TV show, if I recall correctly, and a few similar yeah, things like that. Totally. So, but yeah, I think you know being trailblazing is definitely a, within the genes, if you will, of, of science fiction in general. I mean, the first science fiction author was uh mary shelley right writing frankenstein so already they're breaking True gender that. norms yeah. in, in an extent well and you know ursula K. I have a you know just so our listeners know i have a cat named ursula <laughs> named for ursula k Le yep. Guin, uh you know another another trailblazing sci-fi yeah. author but yet you know you mentioned that this is the golden age of sci-fi which i thought was interesting because there is something known as the golden age of science fiction mm-hmm. it's it's like Asimov uh, right. era and it's interesting you say that this is too because I believe it you know it sci-fi has become such a cultural powerhouse particularly for sci-fi TV in the 90s was a big time period right you had two or three different Star Trek I mean you had TNG DS9 going on you had Babylon 5 yeah, yeah, yeah. you had a number of other shows like Space Above and Beyond there were a couple of the first superhero TV shows like I think going on around the same time too and then you know shortly thereafter in the early 2000s like bsg came up uh, Bowser galactica the reboot of that happened we should do that one once we're done although <laughs> both of us have seen it we wouldn't be able to give a we could totally watch the 70s version <laughs> that is a great idea all right let's not okay. get ahead of ourselves i've only watched the pilot we got a lot of a lot of babylon we do and <laughs> another thing with the 90s tv shows is there's like 20 plus episodes per season so there's that. Good Lord, I forgot that. Unlike modern TV where you have maybe six or ten at most in most cases. So. Yeah, I know I've poked fun at a lot of things, but I have to say I actually really enjoyed really enjoyed the pilot. Uh, I really enjoyed the sort of feel of the episode and the pacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the little corny things that you kind of laugh at. I mean, it's, it's fun. Like, that's why you'd watch old shows yeah. in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, it, we're kind of spoiled in this post-Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones world. Like, we really do expect uh, an extremely high quality of of TV show. And all the seams that you used to, you know, see, but not care mm-hmm. about. 
uh, now we're like, oh man, this this dialogue is so exposition heavy. That's not how people would talk, <laughs> or you know, things like that that you just didn't care about in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. At least I did as a kid. It's funny because you know, I think to some viewers at the time, Babylon Five was viewed as a darker show, as compared to like TNG and some of the other shows of the era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which understandable, but you look at it compared to like Game of Thrones or you know even the Battlestar Galactica that followed like five or ten years later, and Batman Five is very much middle of the road. I mean, it has you'll see some darker undertones here and there, but even from the first episode, it kind of walks the line between it does have some fun parts with like the Londos being goofy and a bit yeah. uh, funny, but also you can see it's kind of moving towards that more serious. The serious notes that you get with a lot of modern TV nowadays, but it's not quite there yet. You know, it's kind of like a precursor to those more serious shows that would follow in the years after, I think. No, I can kind of see that. And, you know, like you said, the next generation was a lot more cerebral yeah. even than, you know, other Star Treks. But, like, a lot of those shows are pretty pulpy. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> by the 90s, most had moved away from, like, literal pulp action, <laughs> like, punching green aliens yeah. and with your shirt off kind of stuff. Yeah, having ambassadors be the center of the show kind of says it all right there. Like, you can see that they intended the show to be a little more higher yeah. level, you know, to be more political and more intrigue mm-hmm. and action and stuff. Yeah. But it was still nice to see that they had plenty of good techno babble in there. You know, when they when they were explaining how the the changeling field mm-hmm. worked, it's like, what are you what are you doing? Who knows how it works? It's science. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. So, with that being said, it sounds like we have what could be the beginning of an introduction to Babylon Five for you. It sounds like you enjoyed the show and something you think you would want to watch more of, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I'm assuming that the, as the show gets more popular and gets more funding, you know, it, it probably gets better production oh, quality yeah. and mm-hmm. more consistent character and costume design. And so, like, I'm not judging the whole series by the pilot, but yeah, I think I, yeah, I would like to watch more. Now, I don't know if it'll become like my all time <laughs> favorite show, right? It's, it's hard to replicate the kind of magic something has when you're watching it as it's coming right. out and you know when when you're the age that it's written for but i i loved it i loved the pilot right. you know i i went in there sort of expecting to just roll my eyes at everything mm. but i was very pleasantly surprised at at the quality of the writing and the consistency of the sort of world design and the, even the things that didn't make sense like why is the prime suspect <laughs> running around in body armor yeah you know man hunting uh you know this the, the other suspect you know yeah things like that were were still fun to watch yeah. uh, even if they were a bit silly <laughs> yeah Definitely a, a fun episode, but you can definitely see it's rough around the edges too. Uh, and things that get smoothed over in the coming episodes uh, once they get the, the series signed and, and they get the actual budget. Oh, yeah. and uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut yeah. you off, but I, I'm looking through my notes here and I have two quotes from the show mm-hmm. that I would like to suggest as potential alternative names for this podcast. Okay. Let's hear them. Universe Today, okay, which is the title of the newspaper that some extra was yep. reading. It's called Universe Today. I think that would be a great name. And the other is Good Eating to You. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is the farewell one of the alien ambassadors gives to, uh, I think, the, the commander. Mm. As he's going to dinner, I think. It's just, so. yeah, 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 which is, you know, Good Eating. Or maybe Lando's system. Because Lando has a system mm-hmm. and he's just a couple credits. He just needs a couple credits. It's a it's a surefire system. You, it basically can't lose. He's figured it out to fifteen decimal points. Fifteen. Eric. Fifteen decimal points. Fifteen decimal points. It's a sure points, thing. Son. Can't get any more sure than that. It's a sure thing. Uh he just needs, you know, a couple, two, three more credits. Um, yeah, so I also think Lando's system would not be a bad Okay, name. well, name is still up in the air, so maybe we'll change it in post. We'll see. But yeah, that, I think, wraps it up for the episode. Um, any last thoughts on what you saw and kind of 
how things have progressed so far? I feel like I've given my last thoughts. Um, let's see. What else? Lando's eyebrows are <laughs> incredible. Best thing in the show. I hope they keep yep. them. I have written, why did the Vorla... Uh, Vor, what are they? Vorlons, yes. Yeah. Vorlons just peace out, which sounds like is actually a relevant mysterious plot mysterious point. plot point there are lots uh, of those because they did sh- they did roll pretty deep <laughs> they were like to just three or four out. cruisers and lots of little ships that showed up yeah yeah exactly well anyway i won't just read through my notes uh if you're trying to wrap up here i think we did pretty good i think i've said it all i'm excited to watch the first episode episode one babylon five season one pilot is episode here. one the next episode that we're going to be watching and we'll see if there will be another episode of the podcast <laughs> we don't know yet we're still new at this so wish us luck well again you've promised me i have there, that's true so it's true i don't like to hear that kind of talk i will uh endeavor to do so and uh as londo says here, here it is eric time to coin your famous sign-off phrase that will follow you into fame and fortune here it is let's hear it Good eating to you. I love it. Good eating to you, listeners. We'll see you next time.